I'm Chris from Centerpoint in Prattville. I would like to let all of our married couples know about a special event that we're hosting this coming year. It's called the Lifelong Romance Marriage Conference, and it's led by Dr. Doug Weiss. He's a nationally known author and speaker. You don't want to miss this event. We're hosting at the Embassy Suites in Montgomery on February 13 and 14 this coming year. For more information about the event or to sign up, simply stop by the information table at your site today. Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint, and I am so glad you're with us at the beginning of 2015. We're beginning a new series entitled Life Plus Jesus is Better. If you want a better life in 2015, then the place to start is with Jesus. I want to welcome all the folks who are watching, uh, watching us, not washing, okay, but watching us via video uh, at Pike Road and Cloverdale and Wetumpka. We're glad you're along for the ride as well. And uh, inside your bulletin, you will find a message, uh, an outline of where I'm going today with my message, and that's, enti- that's entitled The Blessed Life. I want to have a blessed life in 2015. Instead of saying Happy New Year, I'd like for us all to be able to say, I'm living a blessed new year. And what do I mean by that? Well, uh, I mean what the Bible means by that. And Jesus wants us to live blessed lives. If you need a pen, by the way, raise your hands. The ushers will bring a pen to you. But that first blank on the first point in your outline is this, that Jesus wants us to live blessed lives. We're going to be talking through the Sermon on the Mount in this series. It's a a marvelous message that Jesus gave. And in it, he told his disciples how he wants them to live. And one of the things that Jesus made clear is also made clear in John uh, 10.10, where he said this. This is from the New Living Translation. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I hardly ever do this, but I also put in three other translations. Each time when a uh, Bible uh, translation committee gets together, they try to really get the essence of what Jesus was saying in these passages. And it's interesting because there were three, three other ways than four translations. There were four different ways to look at this uh, or to try to get this, the essence of what Jesus is saying out of this. He said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that they may have life they may have it more abundantly. That's the new King James Version. And I came so they can have real and eternal life, better life than they ever dreamed of. Eugene Peterson had that in the message. So in 2015, if I want a rich and satisfying life, if I want a full life, if I want to live more abundantly, if I want a better life than I've ever dreamed of, real and satisfying life, then I need Jesus. And the good news is, through Jesus, I can have it. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Now, that's the kind of life I want. I hope that your resolutions aren't resolutions to do nothing. I talked to somebody the other day, and they went, well, I don't want to have any New Year's resolutions. I just want to be honest. I don't keep resolutions, so at least I'm honest. I go, well, you're honest, and you're lazy. And they went, well, thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. And I went, no. But the point is, is that this is the whole idea behind this series is, with Jesus, we can live better. Good news. You and I don't have to figure this out on our own. Good news. I don't have to have all this within me already. Jesus says he'll empower me. He'll change me. And this morning, we're going to look at eight statements he made. They're known as the Beatitudes because the Latin word for blessed is beatus, which means truly happy, blessed by God. It means rich, satisfying, full life. If I want a rich, satisfying, full, better than I ever dreamed of life, it begins with Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll show you how to live that way. So I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump in in a second. Let me have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, I pray this morning my message will be a pep talk to each one of us. Lord, I pray that 2015 will be the best year we've ever had with you. 
Father, I don't want to settle for anything less. I don't want us to settle for mediocrity. I don't want us to settle for laziness. I don't want to sit there and take pride in the fact, well, I didn't make any resolutions because I didn't want to blow them. Lord, I want you to give us courage that we're willing to step out in faith and we'll go as high as you want us to go and as far as you want us to go. I want to trust you this year. Now, in a moment of silence, before I say one more word in this message, would you pray, Lord, would you speak to me? This year, I want to hear from you. If that's truly the desire of your heart, pray it now. He'll speak. Oh God, I pray that you will speak, that you'll move me out of the way, that you will stir our hearts and inspire us to be the people you want us to be in 2015. I pray that it begins right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Jesus wants us to live blessed lives. Point two, Jesus taught us how to live blessed lives. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's really Jesus sitting down on a hillside um, kind of a big hill, they called it a mountain or a mountainside, where he gave a sermon. And uh, these are some notes. This is how it opened up. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. He began to teach them how to live blessed lives. There were eight statements that had that Latin word, beatus, blessed, rich, full, satisfying, better than you ever dreamed of life. And so those are called the Beatitudes because they're eight statements. I've clumped them into three groupings. The first grouping would have to do with this, that God blesses people who surrender to him or depend on him. And you'll see as we go through these why I clumped the first three of them together because they have to deal with surrender. Anytime you and I want a better relationship with God, it always begins with surrender. Who's going to be in charge this year, me or God? I'm going to give you a hint. If God's in charge, things go better. Because life plus Jesus is better. So if we're going to surrender to him, then Jesus said, here's how you do it. He said, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's what poor in spirit means. It means that we realize our need for him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The opposite of poor in spirit is, I got this. I don't need God. I even put the in spirit in parentheses because some translations just translate it, God blesses those who are poor. And that works too because poor people realize they need God. Poor people have to pray for their daily bread. Rich people don't. We've got lots of bread. In fact, some of us got exercise equipment to help us work off too much bread we ate last year. And the truth is we can go through life and think, hey, I got plenty. I don't need God. In fact, um, in uh, Matthew 19, Jesus has had a conversation with a rich young ruler who's come to him, who came and said with a sincere question, he said, hey, Jesus, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, your problem is you got too much stuff. If you go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, you can come follow me and then you'll be fine. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away shaking his head going, oh, I, I can't do that. Well, the disciples noticed this and they were chasing after Jesus going, hey, Jesus, I mean, this guy's walking away here. And so here's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were staggered. Well, then who has any chance at all? Because they were just like us. I mean, if you say, hey, I want to live a blessed life, what do we immediately think of? More stuff, more vacations, more money, more power, more beauty. Whatever it is, we can get more of. And Jesus says, no. I mean, if you want to live the blessed life, the key is, is to seek God in all you do. And if you get too much stuff, 
You can't see the forest for the trees. It'll distract you. He said, do you know how hard it is? Because the more stuff you have, the less you tend to depend on God. So the disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all? And Jesus looked hard at them and said, well, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. And if you'd underline every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. You and I have no chance of pulling off a blessed life on our own. We have every chance in the world if we trust God to do it. I have good news for you and me today. If you and I think, hey, I can't make a resolution, the good news is God's the one who gives us the strength to achieve what he wants us to achieve. Talked to another fellow. I said, well, hey, what's your New Year's resolution? He said, well, I'm going to gain 10 pounds this next year. And I go, really? I go, do you need to gain weight? He goes, no, but that's one resolution I can keep, okay? All right, well... Again, that's not the point. The point isn't to say, hey, I'm just going to give in. The point is to say, hey, God, I can't do this without you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. I can't do this without you. God, I can't do this without you. Would you say that with me, please? God, I can't do this without you. One more time. God, I can't do this without you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And that brings us to a life application. I just quoted, I just wrote down Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He'll show you which path to take. So, God blesses people who depend on him, who need him. It begins with people who are poor in spirit, saying, God, I can't do this without you. Secondly, God blesses those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. You mean God blesses people who go around sad? No, that's not what it's talking about. People who mourn, over the blown opportunities they had in the past and say, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. They repent. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, look, the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Worldly sorrow is this. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm just mad the boss got there before I did. Why was he come in early? I'm mad they did a, the teacher gave us a pop quiz because I didn't study. I mean, that's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, God, I had opportunities last year. I missed them. God, this year I'm going to depend on you. And God, with your help, I'm not going to miss them again. That's godly sorrow. In the margin there next to it, if you draw a little U-turn sign, that's what God wants for us to do. If you could think back to 2014, words you wish you'd have said, opportunities you wish you'd have grabbed onto, things, bad habits that you don't want to continue anymore. You say, God, I can't do this without your help, but I'm never doing this again. God, that grieves me that I grieved you. It grieves me that I hurt my family, that I hurt my spouse, that I didn't get done some of the things I promised I'd do last year. And God, with your help, this year I'm going to do it. God blesses people who mourn like that. They mourn over missed opportunities foolish decisions, wasted resources. And God blesses us when we repent and come back to him. A third um, type of person that God blesses, again, these are people who depend on him. God blesses those who are humble, meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek means humble. This means exactly what we're talking about. I I don't have pride in myself. Peter, later in his life, in 1 Peter, uh, he wrote about this. He said, God opposes the proud. Please underline that. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. 
How many of you want God on the other side of the net this year playing against you? If you do, you're crazy because he is really good. And he is really smart. And he knows that if we are prideful, that he can't get anything through our heads. And I don't want God to oppose me this year. So I want to get rid of pride. If I'm holding my head up high thinking I'm all that, I'm asking God to humble me. And God's, and Peter says, hey, look, you need to humble yourself. God opposes the proud and favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. So if I want a blessed life this year, I need to humble myself. I need to repent of the missed opportunities and foolish decisions I made last year. And he'd say, God, I can't do this without you. I need to be poor in spirit. And Jesus said, you live like that, God will bless you. That's when you have a rich, satisfying, full, better than you ever dreamed of life. If that's good news to you, say amen. amen. That's the kind of life I want to live this year. And it starts when I repent and come to him and humble myself. So God blesses people who surrender to him, depend on him. Secondly, God blesses people who practice authentic faith. Right motives. The Bible's all about motives. Authentic faith. There were plenty, plenty of religious people in Jesus' day, just like there's religious people now. And if you want to know who Jesus blasted in the scripture, it wasn't the prostitutes or the drunkards or the tax collectors or the notorious sinners. He blasted people who had a sham sort of religion. They were just pretending. And Jesus hated that. He said, God doesn't bless that at all. He doesn't bless people who pretend to be righteous when they're not. He wants people who practice authentic faith. If you practice authentic faith and seek to really do God's will, God will bless you because he wants what's best for you and me. He'll help us do it. So here are a couple of the Beatitudes, a couple of these blessing statements that Jesus is talking about again. The four of them that fit under this heading. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hey, these aren't people who talk about righteousness, who talk about what some people ought to do. These are people who go for it. They hunger for it. Not people who pretend to be righteous. If you flip your outline over, you can see where Jesus is talking to some of the religious hypocrites of his day. This is later on in Matthew. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're careful to tithe even in the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but then you ignore the more important aspects of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Blind guides, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside full of dead men's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. God doesn't want us to live styrofoam lives. He wants the real thing. And if you and I want to live a blessed life this next year, it begins again with we're poor in spirit, we depend on you, and we don't pretend to be more righteous than we are. We take stock of what we are. And we acknowledge before God and before others when we've sinned. It means we say we're sorry and we apologize. And we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And if there's something that needs to change in our life, then we get help and we admit it. And say, I want righteousness. I don't want to keep gossiping this year. I don't want to keep losing my temper this year. I don't want to keep drinking too much this year. I want righteousness. I want to stand for what's right and live for what's right. In my office, at my home, I'm not going to cheat people in business. I'm not going to lie on my taxes. I'm going to do what's right. I want righteousness. 
Not the easy way, the right way. I want to be the person God wants me to be, and with his strength I can do it. God will bless us if we hunger and thirst like that. I hope I'm describing to you this is the deepest desire that Jesus wants for us. I mean, imagine him sitting on the hillside. Guys, if you want God to bless you, then hunger and thirst after righteousness. There are so many who are hunger and thirsting, hungering and thirsting for shortcuts. And the easiest way to kind of beat the system. That's not what God blesses. God blesses people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because that's real, authentic faith. God also blesses those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now in this passage, it's in your bulletin here. The story of the Good Samaritan. Some of you have been in church for a while. You've heard the story before. But you may not remember the context in which it was set. It was exactly this false kind of faith this non-authentic, just living for show kind of faith that this story came about. Listen to these verses. Uh, Luke records this for us. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So he's not asking Jesus a legitimate question. He's just testing him. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions. Please underline that. The man wanted to justify his actions. You know, we're back to the righteousness again. Why am I doing this? I just want to justify myself. That maybe I don't have to get involved with other people. I don't have to be merciful. I, if loving my neighbor is myself, this guy said, well, he wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. There was a Jewish man traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and bandaged them, and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Authentic mercy. Not justifying our actions. What if this year, when I saw a person in need, I trusted that God would help me meet that need? I mean, one of the things that I can mourn for opportunities, maybe at my office last year when somebody was crying and I thought, you know, somebody needs to go over there and talk to that person, but then I didn't do it. Maybe I saw, I realized that our neighbors were having a hard time. Somebody might have gone through a divorce or they lost a loved one. And it sure would have helped if I could have helped them maybe take care of their yard or something like that, but I didn't do it. It's really not any of my business. I don't know them that well. I mean, you get the idea. But John, that's getting involved in other people's lives. And you know, I'm sure Jesus wouldn't have meant making anybody uncomfortable. No, he's just talking about somebody who helped somebody out who was beaten, lying half dead after somebody had robbed him and left him naked. That wouldn't make any of us feel uncomfortable. Putting a naked person in our car and taking them to the hospital, that would make me uncomfortable. That's what he's talking about here. This is Jesus. This is meant to make us uncomfortable. And to say, hey, if you want to be blessed by God, Jesus said, hey, if you want to be blessed, no pretend righteousness. The priest and the temple worker, the pastor and the staff person from the church, they didn't have time. 
And here came a despised Samaritan who most of these Jews wouldn't even have anything to do, deal with. And that guy showed mercy. And Jesus says, you know what kind of person God blesses? People who show genuine mercy. No headlines. It's not for a plaque on the wall. They're helping somebody just because they need help. When you do that, you're showing mercy the way God shows mercy to you. And when you show mercy to others, God will bless you and he'll show mercy in abundance. Authentic faith. Right motives. Here's another statement of Jesus toward this end. God blesses those who are pure, for they will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. Without purity, we live in a sin-soaked culture. My goodness. If we're not careful, we can imbibe all kinds of filth and smut, stand around the water cooler, people telling dirty jokes, get emails, all kinds of filth. Without purity, no one will see God. I mean, we'll see God in heaven. I want to remind us there'll be no porn in heaven. None. No dirty jokes in heaven. None. No racial slurs in heaven. None. Why would I abide with those things now? Why wouldn't I run from filthy stuff this year? If I want God's blessing in 2015, I need to run from things that are impure. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. This is what God wants for us, y'all. He wants us to run from things that are going to pull us down. Hey, whatever we got to do, get rid of it. Let's have pure hearts. If I want God's blessing, a rich, full, better than I dreamed of life, it's not going to happen if I'm filling my head with smut and dirty movies. If we've got to cancel the cable, if we've got to get rid of the internet service on our phone, whatever we've got to do, let's do it. Let's be pure before the Lord. That's authentic faith. Here's another step in authentic faith. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. These are people who, when there's a conflict going on, they calm it down, not make it worse. I mean, what would happen this year if we were the people at work when somebody sent us an email or texted us or started a conversation? We went, whoa, that's none of my business. I'm sorry. I don't want to pass that on. I mean, some of us would have coworkers that faint. You're not going to pass it on? No, that's none of my business. That's just going to stir up trouble. I'm not going to gossip this year. I'm not going to talk about this. I want to live a blessed life. I want to be a peacemaker. If there's really a problem, why don't we all sit down together and work it out? When Paul was writing the Romans, he said, look, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And let me remind us again, none of this is possible without the Lord's help. That's why we, you know, Jesus started with, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you're coming here today and you're saying, well, John, these are high and lofty goals. I can't do that on my own. I know none of us can, but that's why we come to him. And say, God, I want your blessings. God, if you give me the strength to control my tongue, I believe I can control my tongue because I believe in you. God, if you give me the strength to put away these wicked things, that's what I want. I want purity. I want a hunger and thirst for righteousness. God will give us the desire and the power to change. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? I wish I could get excited about this stuff. 
I, I want us to be terribly excited about this stuff, y'all. This is a new year. We have a new chance. We have an opportunity now to say, God, I'm going to recommit my life to you. I want to live a blessed life. I mean, imagine if instead of saying happy new year, we were saying happy blessed year. What do you mean by that? I mean a rich, full, better than you ever dreamed of life. How do you get that? By being humble, by mourning over the missed opportunities from last year and repenting so we'll never do that again, by running away from sin, running to help people, living authentic faith. I mean, the reason Jesus was so angry at the hypocrites and all these things, because he said it's like slamming the door of heaven shut in people's faces. They finally take a step toward God, and then they look at the hypocrisy in my life, and they go, oh, if that's all it amounts to, that's nothing. Wham. And I'm the one who shut the door in their face because I wasn't willing to sell out for Jesus. And that brings us to our last point. The last of the Beatitudes is a reminder that God blesses people who endure persecution for following him. That's not a scripture reference. That's just a typo there. That's just a heading. But God blesses people who endure persecution for following him. God blesses those. This is what Jesus said. This is the last of the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. There are tons of people who are going to be attracted to what they see in our lives, but there are other people who are going to be mad about it. It's kind of like just at the beginning of this year, there are people who are going to commit to getting in shape and doing what's right and other things, and some of us will meet them four or five months from now, and they will have dropped 20 pounds, and they'll be in shape, and then you meet them for lunch, and they're ordering the salad, and we're ordering the double cheeseburger, the biggie fries, and we're wearing our biggie pants and all that stuff. And then we sit there and go, oh, look at you, Mr. Healthy. And they go, I'm looking. Okay, everybody is looking at him. But we make fun of him because we didn't want to change. Well, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, look, everyone that's to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution, at least that much. People do that if you just get in shape. Imagine when you start depending on God and confessing sin and helping poor people and not passing on gossip and when everybody gives you a dirty joke, you don't do anything with it. And they go, whoa, whoa, hey, Mr. Holy Roller, what are you doing? Look at misrighteousness. Now, if they're making fun of us because we're self-righteous, remember, Jesus hates that too. But if we're the genuine deal, it's going to come anyway. Peter wrote this. This is the life, last life application you outlined. We should be glad when people insult us for being Christ followers. Now, again, not be glad if they insult us for being hypocrites, but if we're doing the genuine thing and they're just mad because they don't want to do that, well, that's going to come. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. And Jesus said, look, you want to know how to be, live a blessed life? Stick to it, even if people make fun of you. Be glad. Remember, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying on the cross for our sins, people were laughing at him, mocking him, spitting on him. He said he was the Son of God. Let him come down from there. That was Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, if that's the way they treat me, imagine how they're going to treat you. 
said, you want to live a blessed life better than you dreamed of, rich, full, satisfying life? Stick to your guns. Don't give up. I'll bless you for it in this life and in the life to come. So here's a question for you and me. First Sunday of 2015, what kind of life do you want to, I want to have this year? The same old sorry life as last year where we missed opportunity after opportunity, and some of us, that's the way we describe it. Or we're afraid to make any commitments for 2015. Well, I just don't want to blow it. Or a life where we say, God, I want that kind of life. I want a better life than I've ever dreamed of. I want you to guide my life. Because that's the way God wants us to be. Now, one of the keys to all this is spending time in God's word and with God's people. I want you to hear um, from Reed Toller. He's part of our worship team here in Prattville. He plays the drums for us. He sat down in front of a camera and told us how God has kind of really sharpened him up over the last year. Would you watch the screens, please? I'm Reed Toller. Uh, grew up in the church. Always went to church on Sunday morning as a kid. Uh, went to college. Realized that I really loved to party. I really loved myself. It was all about me. I wanted to do everything I could to better myself. I was all about a career, all about making money and having a good time doing it. In the midst of all that partying and fun while I was in college and, and a drive for, for developing this human being that I wanted to be, in the midst of all of that, I found a girl and um, she sort of pulled me out of the party and, and I realized she was a good girl and I decided to, to get married. It's time to grow up. You're married now. It's time to start going to church. And uh, we ended up finding ourselves at Centerpoint. We were here for probably three, four, five months and it's when Shelly Green was on the stage and she said that they were having worship team auditions and I had played drums as a child and decided to go ahead and, and give it a shot. And I started practicing and I tried out for the worship team. When I made the worship team, it really changed my life because I was spending time with people who loved God. We worshiped God all the time. Shortly after getting involved with the worship team, I, my wife and I decided to join a connect group. Um, we were meeting on Monday nights with probably six or eight people and it was it was really life-changing as well, watching other couples develop their relationship with God and kind of seeing how their lives changed each and every day. And it really helped us strive into developing our relationship with God. I was doing what I thought was supposed to be done. You go to church on Sunday, you help with the church, volunteer with the church on the worship team, and be involved in a connect group with other people. And it really wasn't until this time last year that I... I think that I figured out what God wants from us. John had his message last year and challenged us as a congregation, being the new year of 2014, to really start reading your Bible, to dive into a relationship with God. And during that time that I started reading my Bible every day, and spending time with God every day is when I truly developed a relationship with God. It wasn't just speaking to Him every once in a while. It wasn't calling up a friend and saying, hey, how are things going? It was actually spending time with God every single day, praying to Him, giving Him my concerns, 
asking him for wisdom, asking him for guidance, and listening to him, responding to him, obeying him. And it was a true relationship that I never knew existed. Three years ago, it was all about me. It was all about money. It was all about having a good time. I used to worry about myself and myself only. Didn't care what other people thought. Didn't care about how my decisions would affect them. But now I really see that God has me here for a reason. And it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about having fun. But it's about living life with Christ and having a meaningful relationship with Him that other people can see and that I can use the opportunities that He's given me to bless others. Yeah, you can applaud that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up this service this morning by taking communion together. Um, the whole idea behind it is we can't think of a, a better way um, to kind of put all this together than by taking the Lord's Supper together. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and passed it among his disciples and said, this is my body. Take and eat. It's broken for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me. As often as you do this, remember me. The whole idea was simply this, that Jesus' body was broken. If I hunger and thirst for God and I say, God, you've made it possible for me to be right with you through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, as surely as physical food gives my physical body strength, spiritual food will strengthen my spirit. Lord, I hunger and I thirst for you. I will never forget what you've done for me. Strengthen me. I hunger and thirst for you. I want more of you. In just a minute, when you come and pick up the bread and pick up the cup, that's what we hope, that's what we hope your motivation will be. That's a real motivation. I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm hungry for more of him. I want to read my Bible this year. I want to come to church this year. I want to do right this year. I want to do what Reed was talking about, depend on God more. After that meal was over with Jesus' disciples, the Bible says he took a cup of wine and he passed it among the disciples. He said, I want you to drink of this. This is my blood shed for you. For the sins of the whole world, as often as you do this, remember me. So they drank. We're going to invite you to drink. And when we drink, it's to remind ourselves there's nothing that will quench the thirst in our lives. The thirst for righteousness, the thirst for what all God has for us other than a right relationship with Jesus. And that's why we come to him and we drink and we drink deeply and say, God, I want you. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. I want to have authentic faith, not a sham faith. I want to serve people because they need help. I want to stand up for what's right even if people don't understand me. Because Lord, I want you more than anything else. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. And then if it's your desire to have a 2015 year like that, then we're going to invite you to come. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to celebrate Holy Communion. Lord, I thank you that you broke bread and you reminded your disciples your body was broken. You died so we could live. And Lord, we know we can't have any forgiveness without you washing our sins away. We know we can't live life on our own. 
in our own strength. Forgive us for our sins. They are many. We mourn for them. And Father, in 2015, we want to live life brand new. Give us the desire and the power to be the people you want us to be. If that's a desire of your heart, pray it now. <coughs> Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for new life in his name. We thank you that you promised to bless us if we seek you with all of our hearts. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.